Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Uh, we wanted to pick up this week on something that was raised when the guys uh, all participated in talking and then I talked last week and I referred to it again, which is the idea, well, it's more than idea, the reality, the truth, let's call it the truth, that I am is a complete sentence. See, when, when it comes to the words, I am, we always seem to feel compelled to add something. Whether it's, I am well, I am whole, I am successful, I am terrible, I am a failure, I am useless. It seems we cannot, we cannot approach the statement I am without this incessant need to add something to it and it's not even a conscious awareness or a conscious determination there is a subconscious something that says I can't just say I am this is not complete I have to add something but you see the problem is the more we add the less powerful the phrase becomes and the more we miss the incumbent spiritual creative reality of the phrase itself, I am. In fact, the truth is, we, we honestly, if we're honest, don't, don't think it makes any sense, whatever, unless we add something, do we? It's like it just doesn't sound right to the human material world mind. You can't just say, I am. And, and, and we don't seem to be able to grasp it as a complete sentence. And because of that, the truth is we end up wrestling with the wrong things. The, the moment we add to I am, we make it thing-like, because we can only add to it things. There might be feeling things, or physical things, or, or medical things, or, or, or cultural things, or, or working things, but we add things to it, and we make it thing-like, and, and then we're trying to be something, and we're trying to do something, to fix what cannot be fixed by anything. It can only be fixed by no. So within the biblical framework, the emerging Israelite leader called Moses has his attention grabbed and his perception shaken when he encounters the God presence that once itself referred to as I am. And so in the story of Exodus chapter 3, which is a, it's a chronology of, of Israel's history, but has great application to us today because it's also the expression of one group of people about the interaction with the divine and how we connect with that. And, and so Moses has this experience where he's a shepherd out in the hot desert 
and he sees a bush that's on fire, but what catches his attention is not that the bush is on fire, because that's a regular sight, but that the fact is the bush is not being consumed by the fire. Now, you might say, well, how does that relate to us? Simply as this, that somehow, in some way, divine presence has to catch your attention. So a burning bush would not be how it would happen to you, but something will happen in your wilderness, in your desert, in your workplace, in your life experience that catches your attention. Now Moses could have walked past it because he's seen a thousand burn... Well, that's exaggeration, isn't it? He's, he's seen a few burning bushes in his time. And the trouble is we readily walk past things that should be grabbing our attention because we've seen it so many times in life and we don't stop. He says he stopped and drew aside. We don't stop and draw aside because we're not very good at that. But then as he stops and draws aside, he has a conversation. And whether you think this is literal or imaginary or whatever, really, I have to say, I really don't care. It's beside the point. The point is, it's one of those things that happens in our life where we finish up in this conversation, often with the divine presence, and the divine presence speaks to Moses that we would call God and says, he didn't call himself God. He said, he said when, when he said, who shall I say is sending me to get the Israelites out of their captivity? He says, tell them I am has sent you. Now, now Moses struggled with that as much as you and I, because of course we don't see I am either as a de definition of something or someone, and we don't see it as a full statement of anything. So what happens then if you follow that narrative is the subsequent desire to name, define, tribalize, and make exclusive the I am of this encounter has been much of the cause of creating a religion rather than embracing a revelation. And we still do it because the reason we can't grasp I am is because we still have this desperate need to define within closed boxes, to, to tribalize, to, to make it fit. It's our tribe, it's our people, it's our church, it's our denomination, it's our nation, it's our ethnic group. And then, of course, we make that exclusive. The ins and the outs. So the, these two words may in themselves be the most important two words you will ever utter in your human existence. The main reason we struggle is probably because those two words are all about being and have nothing to do with doing. And we struggle with being because we've become so geared to doing. And we can't perceive a condition where doing has no impact upon being. But you see, the gospel that came through Jesus and revealed in the Christ is that doing has got nothing to do with being. And that's why religion grows up, because religion says, but we want a whole set of doings. But Revelation says, I just want a whole group of beings. So... We struggle with being. Because of it, we learn, we, sorry, we, we struggle with being and because of it, we struggle with life and we struggle with God. And we need to learn again about being. Over the course of history and indeed over the course of our own lives, many things get weaved into the tapestry of truth which may not themselves be totally true. 
And if we can allow ourselves to consider them within the framework of a bigger picture, they may convey to us a very different story and possibly a very different truth. Jim Carrey, in his introduction speech at the Golden Globe Awards, beautifully conveyed what we believe to be important, especially in the context of us and the fact we somehow think temporal things will complete us. And even though universally we know how minuscule and invisible we are, as ever, the truth is we think that our fulfillment and well-being will come from things, temporal things, and doing. But as ever, the truth that our, is that our fulfillment and well-being does not come from what others think of us, but from my relationship with and to I am. Chris mentioned the other week that I am in Latin can mean all. We're talking about having a sense of being all. If I do not know who, if I do not know I am, I will never fully know I am. And if I do not know I am, I will never fully know I am. And that's our quest this morning. So one of the points uh, we wanted to make to you from using this clip from Megamind is how we can come to the conclusion of who we think we are and who we think we're supposed to be simply on the back of our encounter with the experiences of life. But then we feel that's our only course, that that's the only us, that's the only me, because that's the way we were shaped. And I love the fact that in there, when they're both uh, on their journey to their destiny, that, um, that people and things clash with the trajectory. And the truth is that people and things clash with our trajectory and often bump us in directions that we did not choose or wish to go at the time. And our lives are more often the, the consequence of those bumps and those clashes than they are actually of us fully understanding the reality within the essence of what we have become, who we truly are, so we can resolve that question rather than like Megamind feeling that because it had all gone that way, therefore he must be the root of all evil. The truth is that we can then find ourselves moulded into the I should be, not the mould of I am at the core. And live too, too many times in our life on too many occasions in that mould of I should be, I should be. We've all been there, but I should be, but I should be. And then comes the resolve, like with Megamind, the resolve, well, then I must be what I am. If I'm so obsessed with what I think I should be, maybe I just give all power to what I am, but not the I am that is God's I am in you, but the thing that you have become simply by being bumped off course and where you finished up. And then we spend the rest of our lives embracing that I should be in place of the search for I am. Now, one could argue that the biblical creation story in respect to the characters Adam and Eve alludes to this very thing. And the loss of I amness lays down the pattern for an ongoing struggle that interplays throughout thousands of years' worth 
of biblical narrative. You see, the problem with the Adam and Eve story is not that we are born sinful and we are inherently sinful. It's the moment I allow myself to be bumped off my trajectory, whether you want to use a talking serpent or whatever, the thing that gets lost is the I amness. And then we're trying to recover the I amness in the wrong way. And so we get the statement in there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So once they lost the sense of I amness and began to pursue being and doing in the wrong way, then the truth is they become afraid and they recognize a nakedness, a vulnerability that is not helpful, an inability. And so we begin to hide. And that's where it all begins because we lost our sense of I amness. You're hiding because you lost your sense of I amness. You're doing because you lost your sense of I amness. And so we see the futile attempts that are made there to cover externally what can only be resolved internally by a return to I am. So what seems stupid to us, the whole fig leaf story, was them trying to cover up something externally that had to be resolved internally because it was the I amness that they had lost in the presence of God. And we can reach a point where we feel we have no alternative but to accept this false self by allowing the ego to do what it does so very well, justify, excuse, promote, and avoid. And that's where our ego steps in and wants us to cover up and hide or accept the fact that, I am, well, I am just rubbish. I'm just not a success. I'm just whatever, whatever, whatever. And it becomes then the ego's attempt to keep us from actually refinding, rediscovering that I amness that we have lost. So we can feel there's no alternative but that. And one could argue that the return to wholeness does not rest in the rediscovery of who God is, but the rediscovery of who I am. And that's the difference between the spiritual pilgrimage and the religious structure. So Metro Man and Megamind, the two characters in there, are both creations of their respective expectations and pressure. I must be who my circumstances and experiences say I am. So the battle between two false versions of the real self begins right there. So in the second clip from our movie, we uh, witness Megamind's futile attempts at gaining love and acceptance by morphing into an image which is not his true self. And I think we're all familiar with that scenario. Some in greater measures than others, some more extrovertly than others. And when you follow the movie through, um, he ultimately finishes up having to fight the very creature that he created to become the person he was supposed to be. Get me this morning to come back to the I am. You will have to fight the very creature that you have created in order to become the person you're supposed to be. You'll have to defeat that very creature you created in order to return to your I am. And I think one of the great problems in my life growing up was that people grabbed what was said to Moses as only meaning 
that I am relates to the divine, not understanding that in our oneness with the divine, that I am relates to us and that when we catch it, we are touched by something not external, not visible, but something internal and invisible that then manifests into our world. And I can honestly say to you that uh, that which we experience in the creature we create is not just a technical glitch. See, he's trying to excuse it. Oh, pay no attention. Don't look. It's just a technical glitch. No, this is a real issue for real lives that I want you today to be able to resolve. And of course, in that clip, he asked the all too familiar question. If I were... If I were not... Would you still love me? And we've all watched movies and watched clips and read books. And those statements touch us, but actually, in reality, they are at work in our lives. If, if I were, if I were not, would you still love me? And I think sometimes those who preach supposedly the gospel of Jesus speak with forked tongue. Because they say on the one hand, God doesn't mind who you are or what you've done. And then on the other hand, but God does mind what you are and what you've done. God minds if you're gay. God minds if you're drunk. God minds if you lie. God minds if you cuss. God minds if you sleep around. But God loves you as you are and he doesn't mind. And it's like you speak with forked tongue. The truth is God, however you wish to define him, still loves you if you were or if you were not. That's God's baseline. If you were, or if you were not, you are still loved immensely and immeasurably. He said, can you love me for who I am? Well, if you get the real I am, the truth is not only will you ask that question, but you'll ask the question, can I love me for who I am? And let me tell you, with all our failness, all, all the stuff, you can begin to love your I amness, and that I amness is what brings transformation. You know what? We know the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, but what's the first thing we do? Oh, don't judge a book by its cover. The truth is, once we get a look inside the book, we judge the book by its cover. It either was or wasn't what we thought it was and should be. I love the thing when she touches the watch and he changes back to Mega Mind. What happens if I touch your watch? What do you become? Who do you become? Can I still love you? Can you still love me? See, the end of this scene is many people's view of God and us. Rejection and disappointment. And it's not the truth. See, ingrained deep within the personal quest for meaning lies the search for identity, not destiny. You are looking for your destiny when you should be looking for your identity. I'm not even sure there is such a thing as destiny. It's the same as fate, and it's the same. We have a church version, the will of God, and I'm not sure any of those three actually exist as a specific form thing. I do actually believe in the I amness of our life, how working in all situations and creating our world as we go into it. And we might not think it's there, but it's, it is there in all of us. We struggle with our sense of being 
And for many, it's a struggle to even make sense of what we mean by a sense of being. We all want a sense of being, but we don't even know how to define what we mean by a sense of being. It's the I amness. So is that why our journey of discovery is focused externally so much on things, get this, saviors, gods, achievements? The danger is that we begin to create those things in an image that we need them for the simple reason that our journey of discovery is focused externally and so we create things, not ams. Discovering I am is way more important, get this, than discovering your destiny. We replace discovering I am with discovering your destiny and so change the focus from being to doing. True spiritual enlightenment and consciousness over conscience is learning to be and not to do. So where can I get a true image of myself? In the mirror? Is the image in the mirror the true essence of my being? Which is the true image? We spend too much time looking in the wrong mirror to ascertain a true image of who we really are. And it can never show I am. It can only reflect you are. We're so familiar with the approach that says I am dot, 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 dot. And the most powerful word is not what comes after the statement I am, but the statement itself, I am. You know, some years ago in the story, uh, some years ago, the story in the Gospel of Luke that talks about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, in the desert, took on a whole new meaning for me. It, it became a transformational journey in my own thinking, much like with Megamind, because I believe that story, you know, where it says Jesus went into the desert and was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't think it's specifically, and some would say you're wrong here, that it was specifically a physical devil thing. I think in reality what I suddenly realised was that, that the story was helping us to understand that Jesus was facing something that was a reflection back to himself. You are the most challenging devil you will ever meet in your desert. It's your devil, the devil of the other side and character of you, that will meet you in your desert. And here will be the challenge, and this is how Luke recorded it to get it through to us. If you are who you think you are, prove it. And all the three temptations, we can get tied up in technicalities, but actually the essence of those three temptations is if you are who you think you are, prove it. The number of three we associate with Trinity, we associate with spirit, the spiritual challenge to all of us that comes through that devil we meet in ourselves is if you are who you think you are, prove it. And so we spend most of our lives trying to do that. We try both good and bad. Instead of walking away into what will turn out to be an expression of and within life that was not finding its way from visible to invisible to visible form, we, we, we don't walk away and we have to walk away from that and understand the I am is the source 
and resource of our being. The lie we all live under is, if I know what to do, I'll know who I am. So I need my destiny. When the truth is, when I know, I'll put a word in who I am, but actually I would prefer to say when I know I am, I know to be. And from that being will flow something that is transformational. From that being flows the doing that is transformational. So it's not if I know what to do, I'll know who I am. It's if I know who I am, I will do out of my being. So let's bring this to a close. I am is a complete sentence. Maybe if you would dwell there, you'd know it for sure. But we get caught up by all those distractions. I am is a complete sentence. I want you today to dwell there. I think that's probably more what Jesus meant when he declared, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's the expression of a believed and accepted oneness that transforms our being. And so I want you to reflect for a moment this morning. And in that reflection, I want you to loose the I would like to be, because there's a problem. I'd want you to loose the I was or I have been, because that's where we get stuck. I would like to be, but I was, I have been. And I want you to loose that into the present of the, but I am. Now, I wish Ruth Devonport was here today. I'll get her to say what she told me last week, next week, as a little practical exercise in the application of this, because what she said to me, I think, is very helpful for all of us, and I'd love to share it with you, but I don't, because I'm not going to, because I don't want to take away Ruth's thunder. It was her thought, and I want her to bring it. But I want you to understand, if you will immerse yourself in I amness, you say, but I can't, look at my life. That's the problem. Don't look at your life. Look inside at the I amness. Look at the now of God and his concern, love, presence in you. Look at the idea that what Jesus was saying when seven times he said about himself, I am, what he was saying is the same that was being revealed. God says, I am. Jesus says, I am. You say, I am, because that's the legacy. And when you begin to live in that place, there is a transformational process that begins to outwork into the situation that allows you to kill the thing that you created that is now destroying you, but it was your creation in the first place to kill that thing that is the false you and that you created to cover the you so that now you can be the you that you are, which is, I am. The value on your life is huge. Every one of you in here today is an I am. Stop looking at other people and thinking, I wish. And start to focus and say, God's name is I am. God gave his name to me. I am in his likeness and his image. Therefore, 
I am. And I am, I am, those two flowing together releases a power and a strength and an energy that I believe is the full fruit and the full essence of the gospel. I think the story of Jesus showed that something had to die which was the false image of the self that was created in order that the real truth of that which was living, the I am, could be released. That's your legacy today. It's your truth. Begin to speak it in your life. I am. And watch something happen. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.